Oh, sometimes he would try to make a bold beginning, saying, Kevin, do you know what it is I want? I want to get married. But before the words were out of his mouth, Kevin would be roaring and shouting with laughter, slapping his knees and pulling his own hair. What in the name of God and the devil does a man want to get married for? He would say. Why, boy, you've nothing to gain but your chains. Then it would be another tale of conquest. The shy, sly glance she had thrown at him. The notes slipped under the door, the sweet, warm wrestling in the strange bed. Was ever a man so pursued of women? Could it be true that any man was so pursued? Or was it all a beautiful Irish fiction, invented half to please that broth of a Kevin, half to torture poor, weak-chinned, bespectacled Leonard? Sometimes, after Kevin had crossed the hall to his own rooms, and Leonard had brushed his teeth, put on his neat striped pajamas, and folded himself between the tight-pulled sheets, he would lie there in a passion, for even a weak-chinned man with his glasses off is sometimes capable of passion. Cursing the Irish who were born to outshine, with their wild romanticism, all the other soberer, steadier, less noticeable races of mankind. Yet if Kevin had been lying with his tales of conquest, not to say rape, it was his lies at last which had done him in. For last evening, Leonard, sitting by the fire over his books, had heard Kevin's voice cry out, no, in protest, sounding through the two closed doors, had heard the thud, the slam, the footsteps, yet had never gone to investigate till more than an hour later thinking this was one of them, the ladies who could not resist the melancholy Hibernian charm of him, who threw themselves upon him in the extremity of their passion, or so he had related it many times, so that he had to disengage their clasping arms gently and let them know that no single woman would ever possess him for her own. It had been a long time before Leonard had got back to his books after that no, that thud, that clacking latch. He had stared into the coals long and profitlessly, gritting his teeth upper against lower and cursing the Irish, without whom the rest of the world might have gone along its quiet way, flirting gently with librarians and not wishing for what was beyond its means. But two hours later, his notes prepared for the next day's classes, when he had knocked at Kevin's door to see if he was ready for supper, opened without waiting for an answer. Kevin had been lying, dead, the back of his head smashed in with the poker. What does a man think of when first he sees a corpse, and one done violently to death at that? For Leonard had seen not so much as a dead grandmother not so much as a dead dog that he could remember in all the days of his life, so that now, now, he was not sick at his stomach, although he would have expected himself to be. He stood there, looking at Kevin's unmistakably dead body, with a strange kind of excitement swelling inside him. Kevin is dead, he thought. Somebody has murdered him. That is Kevin Boyle. He was alive, and now he is dead. The thing to do is not to touch anything. The thing to do is call the police. Yet he stood there for minutes more, 
looking at the dead Kevin, lying there so peaceful, except for the bloody hole in his skull. Peaceful as if in sleep, with his mouth a little open, and the smoke curling up from one sleeve that lay too close to the coals.